We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. so much for tuning in to Weird Distractions Podcast. This is a weekly show where I, your host Alex, rotate discussing true crime cases, paranormal hotspots, eerie folklore tales, urban legends, and conspiracy theories to provide you and more than likely what the inventor of the oatmeal cream pie may have considered a weird distraction from everyday life. This week, I'm back to regular programming, taking us down memory lane by redoing a previously covered distraction out of Tennessee, USA. But before jumping into that, I have a big show update before telling you what I need a distraction from this week. If you have a need for a distraction that you'd like for me to read on air, please feel free to send it my way by either shooting me a DM or sending me an email. Alright, so in terms of the show update, Weird Distractions is coming to an end. And before I explain when that end is, I just want to give a little bit of light as to why it's coming to an end. I, first and foremost, I love podcasting. I love the people I've met through podcasting. I love every story and every case I've learned about and told you all about while doing the show. And I mean, I've been doing this for four years now. It has been a big part of my life. However, I have struggled with the identity of weird distractions for quite some time. Originally, when Christy, my former co-host, and I started the show, it was meant to be kind of a lighthearted podcast that focused on really heavy and dark topics. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy podcasts and shows like that to this day. I just find it's hard for me to do it solo. And I've thought about having another host come on the show. I've thought about various different ways, but at the end of the day, I think I just need to put weird distractions to rest. I need to let it kind of run its course because I think it has. Personally, for me, um, I know I'm meeting new listeners on a regular basis, but I am at a point where I'm just ready to close up shop if you will. Um, This wasn't an easy decision. None of these decisions I made, especially the last couple months, ending Patreon or taking more breaks, none of them have been easy because this is my only creative outlet I have. Um, I mean, I think I'm creative in different ways and creativity, I think, is a spectrum, but writing weird distractions, producing weird distractions, having weird distractions, and podcasting in general has been an outlet that I haven't necessarily had ever before that really means a lot to me. So, In summary, just to kind of wrap this up because, you know, I I could go on and on and on. Weird Distractions will be coming to an end at the end of February. My last episode will be episode 200. And after that, I won't be producing Weird Distractions anymore. I want to say thank you to the bottom of my freaking heart for everyone who has supported me, everyone who has encouraged me to keep going, you know, all my patrons, my family members, my friends, everybody who really has made me feel like what I'm doing isn't just another thing. It's not just, oh, you're just doing a little hobby. It's, I think people understand that this has kind of been my baby project ever since Christy and I started. And having to walk away is tough. And I'm trying not to start crying now, but it's time. It's time for me to maybe start something different, to start new, to get into something where I feel fully confident in what I'm producing and what I'm providing. So yeah, Weird Distractions is coming to an end. And my need for distraction this week is the fact that 
it's coming to an end. And I think that's going to be my need for a distraction for a couple weeks now. It's just coming to terms with the fact that I'm not going to be sitting behind my mic doing this show. So yeah, that's my need for distraction. This is the big show update also that I hinted at last week with Lindsay. I didn't want to drop it then because, you know, that that would have been really awkward for Lindsay just to sit there and be like, oh gosh, okay, this is a lot to, to digest after, you know, talking about two really heavy true crime cases. But this week's episode is not a heavy true crime case, so if you're needing a break from true crime, you're in the right place. This week is a paranormal episode. Let's get into it. You may recall this week's distraction being previously covered by former co-host Christy. Even though it's already been done, I've wanted to re-record this one for some time because although Christy did a good job covering this reportedly haunted hotspot, I know the audio quality and just the overall format of the show is now in a different place than prior to, and it's a location that I wanted to personally learn more about in my own research. So hopefully you'll love learning about the Hales Bar Dam all over again, but this time, coming from me. Similar to other paranormal-based distraction episodes, I'm going to cover the history and the reported paranormal accounts. I was going to do an occult observation segment for this location. However, I couldn't really find many reviews, so I just decided to scrap it this time. Due to potential course language, distressing topics, and other potential disturbing adult themes that could be discussed today, listener discretion is advised. Although it's not the state with the most dams, that award goes to Texas with 7,381 in total, Tennessee still has a dam that's worth talking about due in part to its bloody history and alleged paranormal phenomena. Turning the dusty history clocks all the way back, the first people known to occupy where the Hales Bar Dam sits today were the members of the Cherokee Nation. This indigenous group once called the land nearby the Tennessee River within what is now known as Marin County their home until settlers came in between the late 1700s into the early 1800s and onwards. According to resources, settlers came in and set up the Cherokee with an unjust treaty, known as the Treaty of Sycamore Shoals on March 17th of 1775. Britannica further summarized this event in the following direct quote, Cherokee were persuaded at the Treaty of Sycamore Shoals to sell an enormous tract of land in central Kentucky to the privately owned Transylvania Land Company. Although land sales to private companies violated British law, the treaty nevertheless became the basis for the colonial settlement of that area. End quote. From what I comprehended, essentially the settlers overtook what was previously agreed upon, causing distress distrust, and overall uneasiness for the Cherokees. Cherokee War Chief Dragon Canoe was said to have cursed the land that the Hales Bar Dam currently now rests on in response to the settlers' actions. This curse would vow that the land would become dark and bloody and further would be unproductive and uninhabitable for anyone that attempted to settle there, and thus an unsettling foundation for future fears was born. You may be wondering, okay, how does this curse actually play out in real life? Well, let's talk about the waters associated with this area. The waters that the dam would be connected to were known to be unpredictable. The Tennessee River Gorge, in particular, had unpredictable water levels, 
and filled with water hazards such as whirlpools. Now, these whirlpools were often sometimes referred to as the suck or the skillet and the pan, according to the Tag Caver website. Think of these names as kind of nicknames, but don't let it deceive you. These are some pretty serious water formations that could be deadly. One of the most notorious whirlpools in the gorge was called the Suck, which has ties to native lore. The lore states that those who lived on the land could look in this whirlpool and see the souls of their ancestors within. But if they got too close, the whirlpool would suck the person in by their ancestors. Again, just because it looks cool doesn't mean it can't be deadly. There have been attempts in order to try and tame these waters for it to be beneficial. However, each attempt seemed unsuccessful. Well, maybe not unsuccessful. There would be a successful attempt. However, the success was extremely short-lived. Now, jumping forward in time to 1898, several Chattanooga businesses got together to create the Tennessee River Improvement Association with the goal of lobbying efforts to extend year-round water navigation in Chattanooga. This was another attempt, hopefully successful attempt, to try and control the water some way, somehow. So the lobbying begins and their efforts were further echoed in 1900 when Major Dan C. Kingman of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers determined that a dam near the southwestern end of the gorge would eliminate the water's hazardous and rapid downstream currents. So basically, Kingman comes in and he's like, yes, we need to do something about this and this is what we need to do. We need to put a dam in. This is where the birth of Hales Bar began, with the help of an engineer from Chattanooga by the name of Josephus Khan Guild, who offered to raise funds and build the dam in exchange for the rights to the dam's electrical output. I mean, that sounds pretty easy peasy lemon squeezy, but then again, I also have no idea what that looks like, so maybe it was a big ask. Regardless, he was given the green light go from Congress in 1904, and the following year, he organized the Chattanooga and Tennessee River Power Company, later known as TEPCO. Getting into more of the construction aspect of the dam, its initial contractor, William J. Oliver and Company, along with a crew, began working on the dam in October of 1905. Self-contained communities, one being Guild, now called Hailtown, and the other named Lads, were built to house the thousands of construction workers that were needed to build the dam. The original plan for the dam was for it to be completed by 1909. However, a slew of different obstacles made that deadline almost impossible to meet. The main culprit for the issues was primarily related to the soft bedrock upon which the dam was built on. Another quiet culprit may have been the numerous deaths that took place on site, in which I'm going to pause on the construction talk and dive into the more morbid side of things just for a hot minute. I'll be jumping around the timeline in doing this, so please bear with me. Although there isn't a concise number of lives lost in association to the creation of the dam or the dam's existence, one resource noted that upwards of 700 workers may have met their match with Hale's Bar. I'm not certain as to why the number is 700, but regardless, there was definitely a list of deaths that I came across during my research. Some deaths included a boiler explosion that killed one man, whereas another was of a man whose foot became entangled with rope before being pulled underwater where he drowned. One piece of information that could very well just be local lore is that 11 children also tragically lost their lives at Hale's Bar. There wasn't a lot of details I could find out surrounding these deaths other than the same narrative that I'll share with you. 
According to the Paranormal Investigators of Milwaukee website, two of the said 11 children died after using one of the tunnels that was built underneath the dam to go to school. From what I gather, they were just taking a shortcut to go to school, and the tunnel actually filled with water to the point where they both drowned. I don't know what happened to the other nine children because, as mentioned, apparently there were 11 children in total that died, but regardless, it could be because this is just local lore that's been passed down and changed throughout the generations. It could be a variable of different reasons or explanations that, unfortunately, I don't have the full answer to. Despite this, it's still grim and it's about to get even darker. During the 1960s, there was apparently a flood that took out the downstream area and, in doing this, it actually disrupted hundreds of local graves. The graves that took the biggest hit for some weird reason were those of children who had died during the 1920 Spanish flu epidemic. I can imagine this was a hell of a mess to clean up and reorganize, but of course this instance has fed into the later alleged paranormal accounts that we will be getting into later on. Getting back to the construction side of this week's distraction, by 1910, the lock and powerhouse had been completed. More delayed successes came after the group began using pressure grouting, aka injecting a grout material into otherwise inaccessible but interconnected void space, according to Wikipedia, along with concrete caissons, which if you're like me and you're like, wait, what does that even mean? This actually involves a series of large, watertight cylinders that are sunk into the ground and filled with concrete, as I gathered from the website Safety Culture. These techniques actually worked for the Hales Bar Dam, which was finished on November 11th, 1913. I'm sure everyone was extremely happy with the dam's completion. However, the excitement and the accomplishment soon drifted away as leaks began shortly thereafter all was supposed to be said and done. By 1919, engineers attempted to minimize the leakage by pumping hot asphalt into the dam's foundation, which I imagine was a hot and smelly mess. This band-aid attempt was somewhat successful, but by 1931, a study showed that the dam was leaking at a rapid rate. The dam was becoming a continuous problem that seemed to have no long-lasting fix, no matter how much time, money, or energy was put into it. A replacement dam, called the Nickajack Dam, would be built in Marion County in the mid to late 1960s, which was the final nail in the coffin for further use of the Hales Bar Dam. By September of 1968, Hales Bar Dam had been dismantled and two of its generators and some parts were actually installed at the new Nickajack Dam. What remained of Hales Bar Dam, being its powerhouse, would be listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2008. Since its closure, the remaining parts have been used as a private event space where spooky tours can be arranged by reservation through the Six Fears Haunted Attraction Company. Speaking of spooky, that's all for the history portion of Hales Bar that I'm going to cover today, so why don't we get into some of the paranormal reports? Now, I know it's been a hot minute since this location was first covered on the show, but you might just remember that when Christy covered Hales Bar Dam, we talked about one particular paranormal group that investigated this place. That group, if you don't remember, was Ghost Adventures, and they actually investigated way back in the day when Nick Groff was still involved with the show. So I'm talking at least over a decade ago. 
The Ghost Adventures investigation won't be the only one I'm highlighting in this episode. However, it is the one I'm going to kick us off with. So the Ghost Adventures episode airs in 2011, where we see Zach, Nick, and Aaron hitting the scene of the former dam and experience what I would hope many wouldn't experience during a paranormal investigation being a tornado threat. There's this huge storm that takes place, and of course the guys point at this being something paranormal-related. They make this big hoopla about it being connected to the curse and how the spirits know that they're there, and it's just, it's a lot. Mind you, it is a TV show, so that's kind of in the recipe of it all, but of course it's eerie, but is it actually a paranormal phenomena, or is it just Tennessee weather? Who's to say? I can't tell which one it is, but... I'm leaning on one more than the other, and I'll let you be the judge of what you think it is. Regardless, during their investigation, Aaron reports feeling like his vest is being tugged at by an unseen force. The group also, at the same time, captures a dark mass on their thermo-imaging camera, seemingly making its presence known on the former catwalk within the powerhouse. Ghost Adventures also seemingly captures some interesting EVPs, aka electric voice phenomena, including one saying, I'm gonna shoot you all, and another one stating, you're fucked. Lastly, they captured unexplained child and female sounding voices during their lockdown investigation that they couldn't explain away. They weren't able to say, oh, this was just the wind or something to that nature. Another televised paranormal group that went to Hale's Bar was Ghost Hunters, where former investigative duo Jason and Grant, along with their team, seemingly had encountered some of the same experiences that the Ghost Adventures group had also experienced. Both Grant and Jason shared that they felt they were being touched on their faces by an invisible presence, which Aaron also reported being touched during the Ghost Adventures investigation, albeit his vest instead of his face. But the Ghost Hunters group experienced more phantom noises, such as footsteps, bangs, sniffling, and shuffling sounds. Countless others have claimed to experience the same phenomena while exploring Hales Bar Dam, but there was one Reddit post that I wanted to include to show that just because a few people say a place is haunted doesn't mean it is, or that you yourself will experience something. In doing my research for today's episode, I came across this Reddit post on r paranormal from user Eric MVP titled, Debunked, Hales Bar, Dam, and Marina. I'm not going to quote the entire post because it is pretty long, but I will quote what pieces from the post I found quite interesting, and of course we'll add its link to today's show notes if you want to have a read. Eric MVP shares the following, quote, I've wanted to visit just about every location that the Ghost Adventures crew has been to. When I got the email from my team leader that we were invited to investigate this place, I screamed like a girl on her sweet 16. The week prior to our investigation was filled with watching numerous YouTube videos and re-watching the Ghost Adventures episode. Myself, along with two others from my team, were invited from another team called the Paraskeptics. They have their own podcast, and I highly suggest it to anyone who is serious about paranormal investigating. They are not skeptic to the paranormal, but to the paranormal community. My team works very well with the Paraskeptics team due to our no-bullshit mentality. We have called out people on numerous occasions and not afraid to do so. Why? Because most of these places like to charge ridiculous amounts for investigating. I can understand a small fee to compensate their time with us, but when you charge the same amount I'd pay for an Ed Sheeran concert to get my wife out of the house, it's a bit shady to me. This place is no different. 
They do hold ghost tours at the location, and I like to keep tabs on places that do these tours because 99.9% of them are just plain ridiculous. They charge just $65 a person from 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. Okay, whatever. Let's make the most out of this. Our initial plan was to go to this place and debunk the shit out of it. Little did we know we would be able to do without hardly trying. When our liaison came out with an ovelus and a Ouija board, already a red flag for us. Just going to take a side note here. I'm assuming that this is someone that works at the dam that's running the tour, but I could be wrong. Anyways, back to the quote. Whether or not you believe a ghost is able to pull out specific words through a digital device, that's on you. My team and I, however, do not. Apparently, they use it on their tours and end it with a seance. They then proceed to show us videos of their captures. One was just kicked up dust, another was twinkling lights from their laser grid pointer, and the other one just complete darkness but the camera shook a little. We could already tell that we made them feel uncomfortable. Once they realized we weren't buying any of their bullshit, our liaison came out and said that it was all for the tour that they had car payments to make and that this was their job, but that this place was still haunted. We would see for ourselves. While we did succeed in what we were coming in for, it was still disappointing. Not a single whisper, footstep, or anything that we weren't able to recreate or debunk. I honestly think they have never had a group like ours come in to investigate the place. You would think that if a group coming in had a podcast and willing to do a review, you would at least listen to a couple of their shows to get a feel of what kind of group they are. They could have saved us from a lot of the bullshit in the beginning. Like I said before, the paraskeptics and my group were not non-believers. We had many investigations where it would make any skeptic into a true believer. In conclusion, Hales Bar Dam and Marina, not haunted. It's still pretty cool if you're into history and stuff, but as for paranormal, I have more paranormal coming out of my butt. End quote. And with that, I will let you decide, listener, as to whether you think the Hales Bar Dam is actually haunted or not. While you ponder on that, let me wrap up this week's distraction. Although the history of the Hales Bar Dam seems normal on the surface, I think its tangled lore with its history makes for a location drenched in alleged paranormal phenomena. But what do you think? Is Hales Bar Dam as haunted as people dub it to be? Or is this just another location that, due to its history, it's automatically been given the haunted label because of what has, or allegedly has, happened? I would love to hear from listeners regarding your thoughts on today's episode. Please feel free to shoot me a DM or send me an email. Furthermore, please keep tuned for the final episodes of Weird Distractions podcast. Again, the show is coming to an end, and the last episode will be episode 200. Thank you so much for listening, and have a lovely week. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, anyone who you think needs a distraction about the show. Doing so is one of the best ways to support this show for free. Speaking of supporting the podcast for free, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Spotify, or whatever platform you're tuning into. When it comes to any corrections that need to be made or perhaps some constructive feedback, please feel free to send me an email at weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. 
Although the Patreon page is currently on an indefinite hiatus, I just want to thank the previous patrons of the show. Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Shadow, Courtney, Cheryl, Susan, Jennifer, and Kristen. Thank you for supporting the Patreon page. I truly appreciate every single one of you. For those on social media, Weird Distractions can be found on Instagram, Twitter, Threads, TikTok, and Facebook. Lastly, I'm always wanting to hear from you. I'm looking to hear about your weird paranormal encounters, maybe too close to home true crime cases, and other weird experiences that you're willing to share to be featured on a future Listener Distractions episode. No matter how short, how long, spooky, or just weird, send your tales my way to, again, the show's email address being weirddistractionspodcast at outlook.com. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye. (laughs) 